Welcome to Doctor Who A to Z, a show that covers everything Doctor Who from beginning to end, from 1963 to present, from Hartnell to Gatwa, from Auton to Zygon. As we continue our journey through random highlights from the first 59 years of Doctor Who, our TARDIS lands on the planet of the Cheetah people on December 6th. 2022 the 33rd anniversary of the broadcast of the final episode of the classic series as we revisit that final story of the original survival and i am joined this week by composer dominic glenn who worked on the series for the last four seasons dominic how are you i'm very well thanks alan nice to talk to you it is such a pleasure to have you join me we first met god i don't remember the year was it 2009 it was something like that, nine or ten, something like that. Yeah, yeah. oh, ten. I think it was ten. So yeah, maybe it was ten. Twelve years ago at yeah. the convention I used to run, Who Lanta. Yeah, I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah, I wrote you a little email. You sure did. I said, said, have you heard of me? Can I come to your little convention, please? <laughs> and I and I came home from work and I opened my email and I saw that email from you and I said, of course I know who you are. <laughs> of course well, i've heard of you well i didn't know <laughs> i know i was man i was that was the biggest thrill in the world that i'd gotten an email from dominic glenn i was so ex- <laughs> i'm i'm not joking i was so excited uh well it, i loved the convention it was fantastic it was my first doctor who convention in the states and uh, yeah that's yeah, right it's great it's great fun so this episode is going out on december 6th and that's the day back, way back in 1989 that the final episode of the original series was broadcast. Wow. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you got an assignment to work on any story that you did, um, and you did quite a few of them over the last four seasons, but mm-hmm. particularly survival, did you first see a script or were you just given the final edit of the actual story? No, no, I got a script before it had been shot. Um, that that tended to be the way they worked. They'd get the script out to you right at the beginning. Once they they commissioned everybody yeah. sort of early on in the process, and then you'd get the script, so you could sort of live with it for a while and, and get a get a feel for it. You know, mm-hmm. it really helps you to sort of get an idea of which direction you might go in with the score. Right, and but then you you actually did your score from a final edit right yeah yeah that's right yeah so the two stages one is to get the script several months ahead and read it and and digest it and then second stage is to have negotiations and chats with the director um usually usually at the radiophonic workshop the the bbc radiophonic workshop which is where dick mills used to work out of doing all the sound effects and so we usually go there and go through each episode uh, with with note taking notes and everything with the timings of what's going to go where, mm. and then I'd come away from there with an old VHS tape, clutching clutching a VHS tape that I'd take <laughs> home and work from that. It's uh, quite primitive, but that was the way we worked. So, do you remember when you first read the scripts, and then again when you first watched that edit? Do you remember your first impressions of survival? And did they change from reading the script to actually seeing what had been filmed? Yeah, I mean, they didn't change that much. I, mean, I think my first impression was this is quite different for Doctor yeah. Who. It, it immediately, off the page, sounds, it read like a very different kind of Doctor Who. And ultimately, of course, the sort of kind of Doctor Who that it kind of turned into it when it came back. 
um, and we often talk about it being a sort of bridging story mm-hmm. between the two seasons, two uh, eras of Doctor Who. Uh, but yeah, that was the initial thing. I just sort of thought this is quite, you know, modern, I suppose, is the best way of putting it for Doctor Who. Right. Very, con- very contemporary setting and everything. Yeah. Uh, a very ordinary setting. And the whole point about it really was that it was very, very ordinary. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of needed to reflect in the music, the fact that we weren't in space, that we weren't, well, obviously part of the story, we, we were somewhere else, but the parts of it that were on Earth were supposed to be kind of quite bland and dull, which is why Ace mm. is always sort of moaning about her home, you know, her home and how dull it was and nothing ever happens here and some days are boring and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I needed to reflect that and also the kind of slight feeling of loneliness that... Uh, that you that you get from from the story particularly as all her friends have sort of vanished so she goes back to this place where she was brought up and there's really nobody left mm-hmm. and so a lot of it is quite lonely for her and, and a bit sad so i wanted yeah. to again re- reflect that in the music right and and it it's an interesting story in that it kind of jumps back and forth between earth between Perryvale, which is Ace's hometown, and this far-flung planet, this weird planet. And it must be a really interesting compositional challenge to kind of depict both of those settings in in ways that reflects what's going on on screen. Yeah, I mean, um, I had a bit of help from the director on that one in the sense that he had an idea of what he wanted, which is not always the case with directors. Sometimes it's a good thing if they know what they want. Sometimes it's a bad thing. Right. <laughs> but in, in this case, it, it was helpful that he had an idea of what he wanted. And, and the idea that we both sort of agreed on was that the, the music was going to be very different in the two settings. So mm-hmm. on the on the planet, we went for a, a, a like almost a sort of rock score with the electric guitar and, um, you know, a lot of sort of uh, droning synths creating a sort of big wide landscape feel. Um, and on the Earth, the Perivale set scenes, we tended to go for a much smaller scale of sound mm-hmm. uh, with some solo instruments, like I used a solo oboe and and a, you know just a simple piano, uh, very very simple individual instruments uh, for a lot of it, rather than building up a big massive score. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, too, that you mention about survival being considered a bridge story. I've always said that um, if you if you watch Doctor Who in order, those last few seasons, but are particularly the last two, if you watch them and then you go up to Rose, it doesn't really feel that stylistically different. It doesn't feel like there's a huge 15 year gap between the two. They really kind of fit seamlessly together. Yeah, and I don't know how much of that is because Russell T. Davis took that as a cue uh, to to sort of move it forward. He may well have done, um, and it would be interesting to talk to him about it, actually, Mm -hmm. what his his feelings were about survival and, and of course, the last season generally. But you're you're so right. I think if you'd gone from Time in the Rani to uh, Rose, it would have been a bit more of a... (laughs) That's true. More of a, a leap, shall we say. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with Ace. You know, she is a very different kind of companion than what we'd really seen before in the original series. And, you know, this was sort of the the first time that uh, Doctor Who had really sort of done this sort of hometown kind of companion where the doctor takes 
his companion to her hometown to, yeah. you know, they walk the streets of her hometown. They look up her old mates. They stroll yeah. through the aisles of a corner grocery store. It's yeah. so different than what we've ever seen before. And I think that that really sets the tone for what we see, particularly in that first episode that Russell does when he brings it back. Yeah. I mean, people, people who live in London, uh, would look at a lot of that and s see their own home. They would mm -hmm. see their own corner shop. They would see their own house. They'd see their own street with somebody washing a car. And it, it would be, feel very, very much like uh, their own life. Mm -hmm. And and the sort of way that their own life would then be sort of uh, mingled with this strange alien land where they people get taken from their home to some other strange place. So I think it would it would resonate with people. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting how different, as you were saying earlier, the the whole tone of this story is. And uh, Rona Monroe, who wrote this script, comes from a very, very different perspective than a lot of like what you expect from Doctor Who writers. And I yeah. think it's I think it's a remarkable story. Yeah, and interestingly, I mean, ridiculously, actually, one of the few female writers that Doctor Who had had at that point. I mean, how yeah. you could count on the fingers of one hand how many writers had been, you know, yeah. female for Doctor Who over the over the decades at that point. Mm -hmm. Obviously that's changed now, but you know, it was definitely a, a crucial factor in in why um survival is the way it is. It definitely yes. has quite a female perspective to it, you know. Mm -hmm. When you were first working on the score what were some of the themes of the story that really stuck out to you that you wanted to capture? And and talk about some of the repeating motifs that you use throughout. Yeah, well, I suppose the first thing, as I sort of talked about a bit earlier, was the um, the loneliness thing. I really wanted to create a vibe when she's on the aces on the uh, by the sign marking the common where she used to live, and it's very very sort of like a, a park land but it's quite bleak and there's nobody around and she's sort of bored and where are all her friends where are they all gone that's where I wanted to try and make it sound a bit lonely mm -hmm. um, so I say I, I went for a palette of simple in instruments um, solo instruments like particularly the oboe um, which I always think sounds a little bit sad anyway <laughs> um, so uh, yeah so that was the key thing then there was the um the cat element now you could say i was perhaps being a bit over literal by using a scrapey violin you have the, the cat, cat gut on the strings of a <laughs> the violin but it just seemed appropriate so mm -hmm. when right at the beginning where we've got um got the guy washing his hair and then he's attacked by the the uh, the cheetah person who you don't see at that stage but there's obviously something quite unpleasant going on <laughs> yeah um, i decided to basically attack a violin so i got a violin i didn't have a violin on my own but i borrowed one off a friend and just scraped the hell out of it mm -hmm. with 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 the bow and just really attacked it um and recorded loads of sounds of it screeching and just a horrible and it does you know people say it always sounds like you know it sounds like a cat when you hear a horrible out tuned violin cat screaming yeah uh, it did seem to to work for me to create that sort of really nasty but organic sound Mm -hmm. So that was another that was another key thing. I suppose the other third most important key element, again, as I spoke about earlier on, was the the feel of the alien planet. And um, Alan Waring 
we've since disputed slightly what the music was that he had suggested, but I I would put money on him having suggested to me uh, a piece of music by Dire Straits, which he had given me as a sort of vague template for the sort of sound he wanted on the on the big vistas of, of the mm-hmm. alien planet. So I did take that on board and I did decide it would work to have a, a guitarist involved in the score. And that was, you know, I think a key moment of making the, the, the soundtrack sound the way it did, because I was able to use acoustic guitar for certain elements and electric mm-hmm. guitar for other elements. And it just, you know, it, I think it worked uh, for this story. I wouldn't agree. Work, wouldn't work on every story, but it worked yeah. for this one, you know. No, I agree. I think the the use of the electric guitar in the cheetah people scenes is really, really striking. And that uh, that attacking the violin moment is, I think, one of the greatest moments in the whole score. Oh, and, that's great. And I know I've told you this before, but this is probably my favorite score of yours. Oh, wow. That's um, good to know. The, the, the first one for the Trial of a Time Lord season is my second favorite. Right, right. <laughs> so good. Oh, great. Oh, I'm glad you like it. Yeah. Well, okay. So at that point, I should tell you that, you know, the the things that you get on Spotify where they do your like year end wrap up. I don't know. If oh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen this meme that's been going around lately. It's a thing where um, it like arranges all the stuff that you've listened to. And it's like on a poster for a three day festival. Yeah, your, right, your three yeah. most listened to artists are the headliners on each of the three days. Right. I just want you to know that you were the headliner on the second day of my <laughs> festival. That's how much oh, I've been great. listening to your stuff lately. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I was very pleased to see. I don't even remember the other two Pink Floyd and something else. And then the middle day, the big font headliner, Dominic Glenn. Oh, that's that's good. It's good to hear I was in good company as well. Exactly. It's nice to be a... <laughs> on the bill with pink floyd that's right there you go so we know that there were uh plans in the works for a 27th season and um around the time that the cancellation had had already happened there were some stories that were already being discussed and at least one that i think was being outlined the ben aronovich story was being outlined was there any conversation at that point about you returning or did the cancellation come too early in that process uh, there wasn't conversation because, generally speaking, conversation about my, my next commission would come later anyway. So um, uh, normally the producer, John Nathan Turner, would call me um, probably, I'm just trying to think roughly timescale, probably around about February or March of the year and say, these are the, this is what we've got this year. I'd like you to do this. So I think the expectation would have been that I probably would have come back to do another story. Yeah. Um I, you know, I, I got on very well with Andrew Cartmel, mm-hmm. got on very well with Ben Aronovich. Um, and, you know, John John and I, we, we never really had any problems at all. We never fell out. We never had any disagreements or anything. So I think he was happy with what I was doing. So I think I probably would have come back. Uh, and, of course, we didn't know it wasn't coming back. So even on the day when we were in the... Uh, the audio dub for the last episode of survival mm-hmm. and and sylvester came in and recorded that that um, somewhere the tea's getting cold speech yeah. uh, which we had to re-record because on the day when it was shot there was an airplane going over and the sound wasn't clear enough so he had to redo it that that's wow. basically the story behind why that was done on that day mm. and it may well andrew may well tell you that it was 
possibly rewritten slightly for that. Mm. But, um, but even at that point, none of us knew that it wasn't coming back. And of course, it wasn't cancelled. It just wasn't renewed. Exactly. Which is not exactly the same thing. We were all right. just sort of waiting for at some point we may get a call to say, well, we're doing it next year or we're doing it in six months time but it's just the calls never came so so there wasn't actually a moment where you were told we're definitely not coming back next next year no no we wow. weren't we weren't told that okay and i believe i believe sylvester and and uh and sophie were at some point yeah. told that they weren't going to be on next year but yeah. there was no sort of finality about it it was like well we're not doing next year's season yeah but who knows what happens after that Wow, it was it was up in the air yeah. until two thousand and five <laughs> or nineteen ninety six. But 90, we yeah, it's a different team altogether, you know. So. Yes, exactly. Yeah. One of the things that I really love about this story. So, as I mentioned, we were there were plans in the works for a season twenty seven if things had gone forward, and uh, one of the things that had been that was being discussed was that the doctor was going to take Ace to Gallifrey and enroll her in the academy to become a time lord. And I think one of the things that we see in survival is that we see so much of the growth that we got from Ace's first story up to what we now knew was her last story. Um, when she's taken to the planet of the cheetah people, she, she finds her friends running scared. She immediately takes charge she galvanizes them. She comes up with plans of action. She gives them hope and inspires them. So basically she takes on the, the doctor role in the story for those characters. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's such an important, that, that would have been a step toward what we saw in the next season. Yeah. Cause she kind of grew up, didn't she? If you think about her, fir her first um, episode in, in Dragonfire, which again, I was lucky enough to score. Yeah. She was very much a sort of, uh, you know, slightly um immature teenager yeah. shall we say and then by the time she gets to survival she's gone through the the curse of fenric thing and then she comes through, through to survival it's it's definitely not just her growing but her growing up as well and as you say had it had it gone further i well i suppose eventually it did go further as we've just seen in the last episode it's just gone out that's know? right that's the, the sort of um, you know the the result of her growing up, and she becomes the woman that she is now. You know. Mm -hmm. So overall, what are your what do you, what do you think sets survival apart from other Doctor Who's? What do you, what do you think makes it special, and what do you think makes your score for it special? Blimey, well, I don't know whether I'm the one to say what makes my <laughs> score special, but I mean, I suppose what makes the story special is a, as I say, very much from the perspective of a, of a woman writer. And I, you know, I think it, you you feel that. Um, and the other element would be the contemporary, um, the the re contemporary realism of London. I think yeah. would be the other thing that sets it apart. You know, in the past, obviously Doctor Who has been set in the present day, but it's almost been incidental to it. But the thing about uh, survival is that it was actually crucial to the story. The whole thing centered around ace's hometown home right. home you know part of london um so i think in that way it, it was it was a new kind of doctor who and that's probably what made it stand out and as far as the score is concerned i, re I really don't know I, I love doing it i don't know whether that helps sure. and i love and i love working with another player it's always nice you know when i did happiness patrol as well it was nice to work mm -hmm. with uh 
Adam Burney played harmonica. It's always good to have another uh, instrument that adds an organic element, particularly when you're doing an otherwise totally synthetic score, uh, which, you know, I, I love the blend of synthesizers and real instruments. That's kind yeah. of the way I'd like to, you know, move forward. If I was doing something like Doctor Who now, I, I definitely would work on a blend of synthesis and organic mm-hmm. instrument. And I, I I get the sense, and I don't know specifically, but I get the sense that that's sort of Sagan Akinola's approach too. That yeah, he, that I he think, did very much a synthesis of the two approaches. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, it worked really well actually. Oh, I, I loved know. I loved his scores. And I don't know what the the next um, version of Doctor Who's sound is going to be. No, we don't know. We don't know yet. So it'll no, be interesting we don't. to hear which way it goes. You know, absolutely. So I want to talk really quickly about some other things. And one of the reasons that you were the headliner on the second day of my, you know, faux festival is because I've been listening to a lot of your other work, but specifically a soundtrack that you did uh, within the last year or year or two, maybe uh, Eye of the Storm. Ah, right. Yeah. Ah, I'm glad you like that score. Oh, my God. I, I, I just want you to know, I, I almost literally listen to it every day. Oh, that's so good to hear. I well, love it so much. Again, it was such a nice thing to work on. So it's a documentary about, I don't know if you've have you seen the film. I have not. Right. Well, the film is a beautiful film. It's a documentary about a uh, an artist, a, a Scottish landscape painter, who uh, was losing the power of sight. <sighs> and of course, you know, it's like being composer losing the power of hearing but be Beethoven you know what what Mm -hmm. do you do if that is your tool and you can't see anymore and the film covered him as he as an old man basically tried to continue painting even though he was barely able to see anything and he had various special glasses to try and give give him some sort of vision and and he was painting in his studio rather than on the land which is where he traditionally used to go out with his easel and sit in front of a beautiful landscape and paint it um but of course the visuals were fantastic because mm. of the, you know the other the artist called james morrison and uh it was very inspiring to write to um and it's also with a with a director that i've worked with quite a lot as well a guy called anthony baxter who um has produced a series of films which i've worked on uh, a lot of them about donald trump actually um and not not in a not in a good way i have to say rather exposing <laughs> some of his worst excesses and this was before he was president as well so Mm. obviously things just got worse but um uh, so anthony baxter is a great filmmaker and he's become a great friend so um yeah he's really nice guy to work with Mm -hmm. well i I absolutely love that score it is is beautiful it's haunting it's captures that sort of like sense of isolation that the artist must have felt when he was, you know, sort of being isolated from his work. Yeah. I just think it's remarkable. I love it. Oh, that, that's really good to hear because also um, it is interesting you use the word because obviously also it's quite a lonely thing being a landscape painter. He would sit on the top of a hillside on his yeah. own with an easel and a stool and a, and a palette and just paint a, a fantastic sunset or a mm. storm coming over the hillside in Scotland um so yeah yeah i mean again as i say very inspiring to to write to so yeah i enjoyed that a lot well tell our listeners a little bit more about some of your other recent work 
Well, I've just, there's a few things. I've, I've actually done four albums this year, would you believe? Uh, four albums and a, and a documentary. So I think, you know, when Adele moans about having done one album in 15 years, I think <laughs> I've just about beaten her. Um, I, uh, I've just done a documentary about, um, uh, it's quite grisly actually, but it's a, a, a documentary about a, a murder of a, an Instagram star. Um, uh, and that's, coming out i think on channel four in the next month or so uh here in the uk um and i've just done uh, a couple of albums of library production music which are again going to be released in the next month or so um very varying types of music but that's the great thing about my job really is it doesn't stay the same mm -hmm. so i get one project and then another project which is something entirely different which prevents me from getting bored right. so um you know a huge huge amount of variety in what i'm commissioned to do which is which is great as far as i'm concerned right so i'm going to assume that we have listeners that are going to want to hear more of your work because mm -hmm. As as I have enthused about Eye of the Storm, I've pretty much loved everything that you've done. Where would people, uh, where should people look to find your body of work? Okay, well, the best place to go uh, for my work actually is um, SoundCloud. I've got a SoundCloud, um, which uh, you're going to ask me what the address is now. I can't remember. I think it's No Bones Two. I think it is. Or okay. No Bones One. But anyway, if you if you Google SoundCloud Dominic Glynn, it should come up. That's probably the best thing. Um, but yes, on there, I've got a lot of my stuff over the years, Doctor Who and non-Doctor Who, mm -hmm. um, TV soundtrack, film soundtrack, uh, library production music, um, my techno dance stuff from the 90s and the 2000s. That's on there, some of it anyway. Uh, so there's quite a lot of a, a wide variety of stuff as well on yeah. there. Um, soundtracks, the bits of things that have been on TV, um, you know, odd shows that, you know, people have said, oh, I didn't know you did that. <laughs> so that's always nice when I get that reaction. Oh, you wrote that. Uh, like, did you, did you, I didn't know you did the music to Alex Wright, the world uh, wrestling champion. Yeah, that was me. I did the theme. <laughs> to... <laughs> yeah. Stuff that's like that. Funny. You know? Yeah. So all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking time out to uh, chat with me about survival and about some of your other work. It has yeah. been an absolute pleasure talking to you again. Yeah, more than welcome, Alan. It's great to talk to you. And I hope I, you're not, are you going to Gallifrey one this year? Uh, no, not yet. Not this year, but uh, fingers crossed, maybe in a year or so. Okay. Be, you know, hopefully something I'll do again. I've loved going to Gallifrey. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I do hope I get the chance to cross paths with you again very soon. Absolutely. I'm with you there. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. Thanks for listening to Doctor Who A to Z. You can find episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, and other podcast networks theme remix used by kind permission of Doctor Who composer Dominic Glenn. We'd love to hear from you, so please drop us a line at Z at gmail or leave a comment wherever you're listening. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe and consider leaving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. See you next time, and until then, remember, we're all stories in the end. Just make it a good one.